Hello, everyone, and welcome to Autism Stories, where we connect you with amazing people that help teens and adults with autism become more independent and successful. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. I've met many autistic people who are not only interested, but quite talented in the areas of science, technology, engineering, and math. However, finding employment in these areas can be challenging due to finding an internship, the interview process, and so many other factors. On this episode, we talk with Jason Gepperth, a disability and STEM resource specialist at Wright State University about how Wright State has helped their talented students find success in these fields. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Jason, thanks so much for joining us today. Where does your story uh, start in the autism and neurodiverse community? Uh, that's a very good question. I went to uh, The Ohio State University for undergrad pursuing a degree in social work, you know, and I got to do a few placements there that had um, some, you know, some focus or some alignment with the disability community. Um, but in terms of autism itself, it wasn't through kind of a, a mandated practicum, but they had a program through their Nysinger Center, um, you know, through a grant that created a program called Yahtzee, or the Young Adult Transition Corps, and that was a program that was designed to assist individuals with autism and or, um, you know, some intellectual or de- developmental um, diagnoses um, to help them develop kind of a strategies for transition from high school to post-high school, whether that would be college, whether that would be um, a job in the community, whether it would be different routes. And it was largely filled by individuals on the autism spectrum, and uh, myself and other people volunteering with it would assist with, you know, everything from diet and nutrition to developing kind of community resources to um, obtaining jobs, you know, uh, uh, you know, meeting other people. And it was really kind of focused on those um, skill sets needed to obtain independence or as much independence as possible um, based on kind of the situation of the individual you're working with. And uh, it was a really great experience. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. And then, uh, you know, went through a more traditional grad school experience, did some residence life work, and didn't really come back to the disability community, um, you know, in terms of advocacy and support until my most recent position at Wright State University. I, uh, they had... Wright State had obtained about 10 years ago now a grant from the National Science Foundation um, as part of their initiative to um, improve access to higher education and STEM career fields for individuals from underrepresented groups. And we had obtained a grant specifically around um, the underrepresentation of disability in STEM fields, and the job I'd obtained was all about looking at higher education and trying to find every single gap, pitfall, anything that might have existed related to recruitment, retention, graduation, or career placement for these individuals and just developing a lot of um, interventions to kind of address those those uh, pitfalls or those gaps. Now, currently uh, at Wright State, your position is the uh, Disability and STEM Resource uh, Specialist, which is really interesting to me because I've met so many teens and adults that are interested in science, technology, engineering, and uh, mathematics. In fact, just earlier today, I was talking with a teenage client who about like what his career path is going to be, and he was talking about how engineering is something that he's really good at, you know, kind of at that field and something that he would like to pursue. 
So part of your job at Wright State is to instruct and design activities for Foundations in Learning, a course created to translate neuroscience research on how to optimize brain function in learning to support ADH students along with those with learning disabilities. So what aspects of this course have been the most beneficial uh, that you've seen for your students? we start, which was called OSAA, Ohio STEM Ability Alliance, is uh, what we found is that um, just kind of traditional accommodations and other traditional kind of services that are often provided at institutions um, aren't the best for kind of the, the optimal outcomes for, for individuals with disabilities. Um, you know, accommodations, they're very important. They're federally mandated, but we, you know, kind of learned through this grant that really they should be a starting point and not an end in terms of the supports that might help increase outcomes for, for the, the populations we work with. And so this Foundations and Learning course, there's, you know, I have to give credit to another case manager in my office who actually worked with me at Ohio STEM Ability Alliance. This was kind of her brainchild, and it was all about how can we help students who have learning differences kind of learn a bit more about how they learn differently, how they retain information differently, how they communicate information differently, you know, through research we have, sometimes very complex, uh, not user-friendly, kind of ivory tower, uh, scholastic research. What do we know about this, and how can we take this research and break it down into common sense implementations that these, these students can take advantage of, work into their um, everyday routines, into their organization, into their you know exam prep, and, and um, really help them learn more about how they best learn and perform. You know, and honestly, I think that uh, in terms of the aspects of the course that were most beneficial, you know, when I was able to, to co-teach it, you know, sometimes it's really easy to kind of get a cookie-cutter treatment, you know, through K through 12, but then especially, you know, at least in K through 12, you have these kind of in-depth IEP, ETR, um, 504 plans that might have a little bit more of this uh, collaborative design behind them. Once you go to college, you know, uh, you know, for better or for worse at times, there, there does tend to be, um, you know, some, uh, some, some removal of some of that, uh, you know, above and beyond. You know, you kind of go through the same process and the same resources and interventions as everybody else. And, um, you know, and that's good in some ways, you know, just trying to make sure everyone's kind of accomplishing the same rigorous material and content and that a degree means the same for anyone who achieves it. But, you know, again, there, there are things beyond just the accommodations, extended time, a distraction, reduced room, for example, for an individual um, with, these, with these diagnoses that could be beneficial and just really sitting down to go, okay, you know, what are some of the, the, the barriers I face when I'm thinking or approaching a project or trying to absorb fairly complex and lengthy information that makes it a bit easier and just lets me kind of know where my areas for improvement are and develop these really uh, sound, common sense um, strategies that can be utilized even when maybe there's not necessarily an accommodation route or option. Because, you know, you got to think about this, not just for courses where there tends to be more accommodations, but there's situations in everyday life or maybe a job or maybe um, a different circumstance where accommodations aren't going to be there and some of these more developmental approaches um, can be useful. Now, transition to college can definitely be a uh, big challenge. So for the first year students at Wright State, I read that you uh, were part in launching um, what was called a, a pre-flight program to help the students get acclimated to the first year of 
of life at Wright State. So can you share a little bit more about like the specifics of the program? Dealing with classes, it's really hard to then also be thinking about these changes when you're already 
in the midst of everything. So by having this week in advance where students move in, only focus on those issues, come in when it's calmer on campus and where um, they can learn through uh, us as case managers and staff in our office, but also we link them with some of our counseling wellness services professionals, uh, academic advisors, we have faculty kind of talk about how they can develop good relationships with faculty members, and then they can even kind of develop sort of a cohort or camaraderie with the other students who, you know, they can relate to. Hey, these are people who have gone through similar situations or challenges in high school with us, and um, it's nice to know that we're not the only one in this boat and that we do kind of have these other people before day one of class even starts that we can kind of um, use as a support structure and as a, um, an outlet to, to feel connection to the campus and all those sorts of things. So it's actually been a pretty successful program. We're um, in our fourth year of operation, I believe, this upcoming summer, and, uh, you know, the outcomes of individuals who, who take part in it are, are very largely positive, and it does seem like it's had a good impact, and just kind of um, demystifying college before they're kind of thrust into the, the chaos of the first few weeks. Now, beyond the classroom, uh, you help students to plan and develop their careers through your workforce uh, recruitment program, which is a federal disability hiring initiative. So Wright State uh, students have been very successful at receiving placements through your work with them. So what is the workforce recruitment program for those that may be unfamiliar? And what are you doing so well uh, that's that's working so great for your students? federal program that is designed to address the underrepresentation of individuals with disabilities in the federal workforce. And um, it's a kind of a collaboration with the Department of Labor and the Department of Defense where there is a funding pool that is available for federal entities across the United States where if they have work needs, um, they can actually tap into this pool of funding, um, create a temporary position, um, you know, an internship, usually you know, three months, but it can be longer under some circumstances where they literally can kind of try before they buy with one of these students. You know, they, uh, the students go through a registration process where they get um, federal resume created. They obtain what's called a Schedule A letter, which is basically a letter that says we're eligible for this disability-related initiative without giving any other additional information regarding your particular diagnosis and then they do an interview usually around the fall uh, around you know throughout the fall semester um, all this information is kind of typed up put it into an account and then um, eventually entered into a, a national database that federal hiring managers can pull from in the spring and then in the spring you know when these people have these needs these hiring managers they can go through this database and if they think they see a student who will meet their needs um, they actually, on top of getting funding to support that student, bring them on for a position. There's also some kind of red tape um, <laughs> workarounds that this, this program um, provides, so they can bring these students on sooner than they might, a traditional kind of um, employee. And so it's a benefit to hiring managers because they can get someone in these roles doing the work that needs to be done sooner, and they do get temporary funding provided from a central source, so it doesn't have to come out of their budget. So it's a very um, attractive process opposition to these hiring managers, but, you know, where the student wins is that this is a program that, you know, provides 
provides them a really meaningful experience that is paid. Every opportunity is paid and typically pretty well. Um, and there are some questions built into the interview portion of it that um, specifically kind of address, you know, what, what kind of workplace environment would allow you to be successful? You know, what kind of accommodations might you need? Um, and then the WRP uh, coordinators at each um, federal entity um, can really kind of start having those conversations um, to make sure accommodations are set up in place and that hiring managers are best prepared to really create a, 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 an environment where these students can be successful. Um, um, it's fantastic. Um, you know, and the way it works is different federal sites can opt to pull students and hire students out of the pool, but different universities can sign up to be student recruiters for this program. And Wright State has been um, a participant as a site recruiter, a college recruiter, for a number of years. Um, there's about 360 participating institutions nationally. Um, to me, it's kind of a, a shame that more don't participate. I don't know if it's, you know, workload related or just not knowing about it or, um, you know, what some of the other barriers are because it's been nothing but, you know, positive for our institution. Um, but I think the reason why we've been able to be successful at Wright State University is uh, um, we've worked really hard to let all of our students know about this opportunity to um, go beyond just providing accommodations out of our office, but to really work with our students um, on their federal resumes, on their mock interviewing, um, are their interviewing experience in ways that um, might be a little more meaningful than traditional kind of uh, career services entities who just, you know, may not be as experienced or as equipped with working with certain individuals with disabilities. We can give them really kind of um, specific advice and targets for improvement. We really work hard to make sure that their applications are the strongest they can be by the time they're done. And um, by having so many students entered into the database, you know, we've been, in the three years I've overseen the program, in the top three for recruiters across the United States, and this last year is number one, that's created interest from uh, the Department of Defense and the Wright-Patterson Air Force base because we're giving them a really good pipeline of students and we've been able to really kind of capitalize on that to where they want to keep growing the pipeline, we want to keep growing the pipelines, our students do well, they get good people that are converting into full-time employment and it's just really kind of um, created this momentum for um, continued interests um, from all parties and, and more students getting um, opportunities as they enroll every single year. Now, talking about uh, the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, you've collaborated with them on the Autism at Work initiative designed to provide on the autism spectrum with internships and full-time employment. And uh, I read that this program is one of the largest single-site autism hiring initiatives in the United States and the first federal program. How did this collaboration come to be? work is technically an extension of the workforce recruitment program, just uh, a little more, um, you know, targeted towards a particular uh, disability or disability group. Um, and one of the reasons that collaboration exists is because of how um, strong of a collaborator we've been with the workforce recruitment program. You know, if we were only getting a few students signed up every year um, and only, you know, maybe one or two of those being, you know, strong enough in their preparation to obtain a job, you know, I don't think that that would really be um, sensible on their end to necessarily be investing that 
time and energy from a resource perspective, but, you know, we typically have 50, 60, 70 students um, enroll into this program every year, and typically at least 50% of those students um, at least are brought on for an opportunity and tend to thrive in them because of the emphasis we put on um, really growing them and their communication skills and their, you know, resume readiness, their professional development, and, and so, you know, there's been this really strong pipeline, and uh, that's it's led for conversations about how can we, you know, take it to the next level. And so with the, the federal government, you know, through this WRP program, you know, they're trying to reach certain thresholds of representation. And, the, and I haven't mentioned this yet, but the, the ideal threshold they're looking for is 12% overall employment in the federal workforce of individuals with disabilities. Um, however, there is a kind of a targeted disability group um, that has a 2% threshold of certain disabilities that are especially underrepresented, and um, you know, in that 2% are a lot of individuals with severe physical disabilities, um, some more, uh, you know, severe uh, psych psychological disabilities, and um, autism is actually one of those severely underrepresented disabilities that they're really trying to get to that 2% threshold in. And so this initiative was created to really um, make sure that while there's a growing pipeline for all individuals with disabilities into um, federal employment, that we could bulk up and provide some extra support to increase that pipeline specifically for autism. And then not just bulk up the, uh, the pipeline for getting people into employment, but knowing with autism that there can be some challenges with maintaining employment um, after it's been obtained. You know, sometimes there's confusion from supervisors about how to work with someone who has atypical behavior, where they may or may not even know this person has autism. They might look at maybe um, more neutral emotions as disinterest when it's not the case, you know, stuff like that. There are all these kind of subtle things that can create barriers to sustain, uh, sustain employment for individuals with autism. So this program was designed to um, address uh, some of the barriers that exist in the hiring process for autism, as well as the um, actual sustained employment portion of, 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 of a, you know, being a, a full-time worker. And so with the interview process, what we do is we, um, with the permission of students who want to be considered for this program, we do let uh, the interviewing hiring managers know that these are individuals with autism, and we give them um, kind of a tutorial on what autism is. You know, hey, these are folks who may, may not you know, shake your hand with the right grip strength or may not uh, maintain the same degree of eye contact um, as, as a typical interviewee. Or they may, you know, because they're nervous, have some stimming behaviors. Um, you know, these are things that can be fairly arbitrary as to whether someone can actually do a highly technical job, but that do screen out a lot of candidates and a lot of hiring processes. And we go to these hiring managers and we say, hey, you know, if you're willing to de-emphasize these more arbitrary standards that exist in interviewing and focus on um, technical questions, can these people do these highly technical tasks that they're going to be asked, that they can get students who, you know, are, you know, honor students. Some of these students have four points, some of these students have accomplished you know, major research um, or, you know, some pretty meaningful internships. And by turning the focus to what they've accomplished and what they can do and not some of these more kind of social communication standards we tend to overemphasize, you know, it can be 
um, a win-win, especially for um, finding uh, talent for some of these hard-to-fill positions. You know, the other thing we do is the interview is a bit more conversational. Um, we break free of kind of a more of a rigid question structure. You know, they'll actually let me sit in that room. So if the individual autism just kind of, you know, even, even though I'm mostly just silent, you know, if that individual thinks it would help with their comfort to have me in that room when they're interviewing in front of maybe two or three people, um, I can be there. You know, it's kind of that support person. So there's a lot of things built in that are non-traditional but have been absolutely vital towards making sure these students are comfortable enough to best market themselves um, for these opportunities. You know, the next step is once they're selected and, you know, since we make these changes, we've had really good success rates of, of hiring managers having interest that, you know, that transition to working, you know, and so we do a training um, before students start their position that talks about um, Wright-Patterson Air Force uh, military culture, um, because, you know, uh, this may be the first job that they've gone to where there's a security checkpoint where, you know, there are soldiers with guns, you know, and that can be a little bit different from, you know, most other people's jobs. You know, there can be maybe sirens that go off. There can be certain decorum and protocols that are often, you know, referred to as that invisible curriculum that individuals with autism may struggle with, and we really try to cover as much of that as possible um, so their transition to the base can be calm, can be um, somewhat anticipated, and just to kind of help them with that major transition. Um, their mentors, they're paired with a mentor who's trained on autism and how to best be a peer-level support, and their supervisor act supervisors are actually trained on aspects of autism. Um, so A, they can, again, not fixate or um, discount an individual based on just kind of these you know, behavioral traits that maybe they're unprepared for or unaware of. Um, but then they also know if there are some performance-related issues, how to best kind of address these individuals, you know, to, that it's okay to be direct um, and non-ambiguous about things that need to change. Um, you know, that there may be, you know, environmental issues that they want to take into account, like noise or, or lighting that can help position these individuals for success. And there are check-ins at a 30, 60, 90, and 120 day interval to make sure that the um, supervisor and the student both feel comfortable. And uh, then there's still some check-ins after those points. And the students participate in this employment for a year and uh, if it's going well on both ends uh, over the course of the year, you know, then there's pursuit to have these students converted to permanent employment um, beyond, beyond that year threshold. And um, so far of the 15 student pilot we had started last spring, already 10 of those students have been um, offered permanent employment, um, very high pay uh, employment, and we predict that at least one or two more will likely fall into that category um, within their year threshold. Um, and for the few students who um, there isn't a place for them or maybe it's not the best fit, you know, we still look at it as a win because they're getting a year of well-paid employment and they're getting that employment at the base and they're doing some pretty high-level tasks, things that are definitely going to help them you know, market themselves better when they're looking for other opportunities. Um, we do have our second cohort getting ready to start up. We currently have eight more students we're going to add into it, um, but we're hoping to, to hopefully uh, locate, you know, a few more that we can add to this cohort, um, but it is really exciting. You know, we've uh, gotten a lot of attention for this program. Uh, 
my um, Wright Patterson Air Force Base HR collaborator Molly Four and I actually got um, think about for distinction um, for a major um, Department of Defense um, Disability Forum at the Pentagon this December, and they were so receptive to the structure of this program and what it was accomplishing that they uh, requested that Molly try to replicate it at multiple other. Air Force bases, and they actually asked some other military divisions at this uh, forum to do their best to replicate it within their own within their own structures. So it's it's really neat to kind of see that the highest levels of um, uh, disability programmers that the Department of Defense were excited about this program and are really looking for um, expansion across multiple um, federal divisions. In the 30, 60, and 90-day check-ins, uh, when when the feedback is different from the intern versus their supervisor, how have uh, everyone worked together to um, overcome some of those challenges? So I, uh, there's a few different steps to that. You know, I think the first part is really um, training supervisors that it's okay to be direct mm-hmm. um, if they have concerns and to ask. But, you know, it, and, and, you know, this isn't just unique individuals with autism, right? You know, sometimes it's tough to have a difficult conversation. We don't want to be, you know, we don't want to come off as mean or overly confrontational, but, you know, when the alternative is something that maybe is a work-related or performance-related issue isn't being trust, um, then there's no resolution to it. And then sometimes if you just avoid that, then someone's getting let go and they don't even necessarily know why or how or what they could have done differently. Mm -hmm. Um, So the first part is is we really do encourage um, supervisors to be direct with their conversation um, about concerns that they have. Um, That being said, if they're um, nervous at all between Molly Four, who's a HR representative um, at the base, or even me, um, they can kind of reach out and say, hey, we're having these concerns, we're uncomfortable about how to address them, we don't have an extended background in disability even, uh, or, or autism, even though, you know, we've gone through the training, um, they have us as support outlets. But then, um, additionally, uh, the students have that as well. They have, um, they can always go to Molly, you know, if they have concerns or if they feel like their viewpoints are, are not being heard or maybe there's, um, you know, a different opinion on performance, they can go to her to get some insight and support. Uh, they're also welcome to reach out to me, and I can do a little bit of investigation on my end um, to help out. The other resource that they do have is that trained mentor who um, is a full-time employee at the base, um, but can be a great outlet for sounding off questions, concerns um, related to maybe their supervision or their work that they might be a little too nervous to just directly go to the supervisor about. So between those, you know, three individuals, again, myself as the right state representative that they worked for, you know, typically worked with for a number of years through some of my other initiatives, and they have a trust quotient with, they have me, uh, they have uh, someone in HR who we've trained on autism, and she's she's been an all-star and really kind of making sure that these students are advocated for them and the mentors who, you know, they're not paid or credited to be mentors. They're signing up because they are really dedicated to the cause and they want to see these students succeed. There's just that really good um, support network there. On top of that, the one thing I did forget to mention is there are monthly meetings um, that are focused around the Autism at Work cohort. You know, we'll talk about maybe federal resume development or other things that these, these individuals can pursue to um, network, connect, uh, make sure they stand out as good as possible. But they, and those are also um, forums that these students can kind of bring up any concerns they have um, to make sure that they're getting addressed. So 
you know, in terms to in terms of uh, you know maybe differences in opinion on performance, uh, you know, there's always a chance that could happen. But I'd say that we have a pretty rigorous process to making sure that um, those differentials do not pop up that often. And one of the goals, again, is to um, be very proactive about um, addressing behavior before it gets to the point where a supervisor is so upset or turned off by it that they're not interested in bringing that person on. So, you know, some common examples might be with our students, um, you know, for example, it might be maybe they're using their cell phones too much for personal use and games um, when it's not break time. You know, that's that's something where maybe if there's downtime, the student doesn't know that they're, they're using it too much or something like that, and if it was unaddressed, you know, it just keeps popping up as a concern, you know, and something that might annoy people, but, you know, that's a really easy thing where the supervisor talks to the student directly or if the, the supervisors talk to the student directly and it doesn't seem to be sinking in, there's multiple other people who can then come in, um, work with that student, and make sure that they're taking corrective action so they can uh, remain hireable over the process. So, so don't assume, uh, don't assume skills. These students typically they're coming in, they're more capable of handling a lot of the skill sets, um, you know, and it's, it's very much, yeah, don't, um, you know, just because there's some behaviors that might take away from their other accomplishments, yeah, don't let those linger, don't let those go unaddressed, um, you know, make sure that, you know, the, the, the resources and the structures in place are being utilized. And when they are, we're able to um, have those intentional meetings very proactively before it might turn up as a really big red flag and say like a, you know, a year-long performance evaluation. And, you know, I think proactivity in those regards are the key. A lot of these things um, are not Herculean tasks to get changed. It's just all about making students aware, making sure they understand, and um, helping them develop some success strategies for improvement in those areas. Now, earlier you were talking about the workforce recruitment program and how it's at about 360 universities across the country. Now, for yep. for incoming students that might be interested in this program or students that are currently at their university, how would they go about finding out if that uh, program exists where they're going to school? Okay, so the, the, the outlets that I would have um, for this, you know, is it, it kind of um, traverses, you know, both disability services and career services, um, but I would still say most of these units, if they're housed at all, or, pro, or most of these uh, site coordinators, if they exist at all, they're going to be housed in disability services because, um, Disability Services is going to be the one entity that actually knows whether an individual has a disability or not, so they're going to be the ones that are best able to kind of market the opportunity out and help recruit. Um, that being said, you know, at, at my university, you know, I, you know, I have an online portal for students where I'm advertising about it, at brochures, I send out listserv emails well in advance of, of the program, I, I pull every new student I see in and let them know that it exists, whether... Um, it's their first year, and they're not even thinking of an internship for another year or two, or as they're getting into the timeline. So I would say that um, those things have helped me be very proactive and to make sure as many people know as possible. That being said, some other entities, um, you know, maybe due to other priorities or just, you know, individuals being busy, they might not have the time or resources to be that proactive. Uh, it doesn't mean that there's not necessarily a site coordinator. So the most important thing I would say for students to do is go to their disability services unit and ask, you know, do you have somebody who is a coordinator for the workforce recruitment program? I'm very interested in this program. It's a, you know, federal um, initiative.
to provide internships to students with disabilities. And, you know, hopefully uh, they're at one of those 360-ish institutions that do participate and they can get a referral to the, the, the recruiter to get more information. You know, that being said, if uh, it turns out that university or college does not provide the program, um, you know, I think that the student, you know, if they're looking to have this opportunity started up, would be to say, hey, you know, maybe you should look into the workforce recruitment program. There is a web page. Um, I believe the link is still wrp.org. Um, but if you just type in workforce recruitment program, um, you can find it. And there is the ability for institutions to sign up as, um, you know, again, uh, recruitment centers for students. And... You know, there's no cost. There's no, um, there's no major obligation. You know, the, the program will ask you every year how many students you anticipate getting signed up through the process, and that's mostly because they do pair um, a federal employee to the institution to do those interviews that eventually are typed up and put into the database. So they, you know, they want to kind of do a guess, but there's no penalty if you over-recruit or, or under-recruit. There's really no obligation um, from the institution. Um, so that would be the advice, you know, and, and honestly, um, if students do find that their institution doesn't do it, I would just say please just try to bring it up to the, the offices because not enough people know that it exists. And it's a great opportunity. Again, I get 50, 60, 70 um, plus students signed up every year. I would say um, you know, again, it's a single resume submission. It's a single interview. And I'd say I have probably a 40, 50, possibly 60% placement rate uh, of those students through this program. And if you had students seeking out an internship through any other means, you know, I think, I think we can all agree that, a, you know, a coin flip chance, a 50% chance of getting a, a really good paid internship out of the experience. I mean, you just don't see those odds or rates with almost any other opportunity you'd apply for. Mm -hmm. um, not to mention that this, again, is a much more inclusive and disability accommodation intentional um, placement than uh, some other entities might provide. So that, that's what I would recommend. And then if anyone ever has any questions, whether it's a student, whether it's a disability services um, uh, you know, case manager or, or anything, they can contact WRP directly or if they're looking for um, more of that college, university kind of um, perspective, they are welcome to contact me and I will answer any all questions about uh, how they can kind of set up their programs and make them successful. Hmm. Well, Jason, thank you uh, very much for your time. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to today's episode and thank you so much to Jason for the conversation. Did you know that Autism Personal Coach saves autistic people from feeling alone and being isolated? So often, autistic teens and adults struggle with anxiety and as a result don't have success in their lives. Autism Personal Coach is a unique service in that we help autistic people by working on meaningful, individualized goals in the settings in which they'll be used. So anxiety is greatly reduced and as a result they can become much more independent and successful. To get an autism coach for a loved one or yourself, it's very easy. All you have to do is email autismpersonalcoach at yahoo.com or call 216-336-5889 and request a coach today. On the next episode of Autism Stories, we will talk with Alex Manners about his campaign to make soccer stadiums in the United Kingdom much more sensory sensitive for autistic people. Talk to you then. <laughs>